We're going to be in James 1, verses 2 through 4. We'll cover that this morning. I think the one specific way to start, we're, we'll pray, we'll seek the Lord's help, but give an encouragement. I think, I didn't bother to count, but just like five weeks ago, somewhere in that space, our pastor taught this very text. Uh, and I know you remember every word, point, and subpoint. Nevertheless, if you'll cue it up, um, it was a good word. One of um, my, really my favorite um, messages on James 1, consider it all joy. So this is kind of sitting down with an old friend, a recent friend, um, keeping it close. And it is a text, an exhortation of which we would do, do good to keep it close by, right? And which we'll talk about in a moment uh, because trials are frequent. Um, and continuous in life. So, all right. Sounds we're, looks like we're getting settled. Let's go ahead and, and t- turn to the Lord in prayer this morning and ask for his assistance, his favor on just the entirety of the day. Father, we do thank you this morning. We are grateful for yet again, another opportunity to open your word, to sit in a, in a building and Um, with a roof over our heads, without fear of someone barging in this place and persecuting us for what we're doing right now. We do not want to take this lightly or for granted. And so we say thank you. Uh, The freedom in which we can enjoy, Lord, it uh, does breed a degree of familiarity and uh, even contempt just with uh, the comfortability of which we enjoy this, the ease, Lord. Um, We pray that you would eradicate that uh, lackadaisical attitude from our own hearts and minds that you would stir us afresh with an eagerness to receive what you have with us. Even as James says, to receive the word implanted with humility. So where that's not present, Lord, we'd convict and deal with us today. Um, We pray that you would coach us, instruct us, train us, train us, Lord, really would be the word to consider it all joy when you encounter trials, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone have an outline today? Perfect. Craig's back in the back. All right, well, James 1, we began this last week, so we're picking up steam. Uh, We covered verse 1 last week, really his greeting in the opening of the letter, and James moves from zero to 60 miles an hour real quick, (laughs) and he goes right from his greeting into Christian living right? Uh, For James, the Christian faith is not an organization to join. It's not an abstract basket or group of doctrines to hold. For James, becoming a Christian radically introduces you into a new life, a new life. And that new life then must be lived, expressed, and manifested, which is much of why James often feels so different than the rest of the epistles. It's a very practical letter from the outset. It has this proverbial wisdom that's just dripping from the faucet that is the book of James. I think of additional encouraging force is that this practical letter is is written to who? Who's the audience by way of review from last week? Scattered Jewish believers, okay? I think the encouragement here is that these are common folks. These are ordinary people. These are my kind of people, right? Apart from the Jewish, just ordinary folks, not aristocrats, just common individuals, Jewish Christians, even as was stated, dispersed abroad, right? And if you're familiar with the book of James, you know that they weren't always victorious in, in their Christian lives, were they? which again is encouraging to us. The things that we see in the book are common to man, okay? You are not alone. This is common to all of us made in the image of God, living in a world that is broken in need of a redeemer. These things are common to them and even there's a group among them that very well may not even be Christians at all, which we'll get to later in chapter two. Now, of all the areas to sift through in life, to go from your greeting to Christian living, you could choose a number of different areas of life of which to begin. And of all areas, what area of life does James focus on and run to first? Look at verse two 
and you tell me. Trials. That's telling, isn't it? Like the very first issue, trials. Let's read verses 1 through 12. Okay, this is a whole section which we'll kind of break up in several Sundays. It reads, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But the brother of her humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. But the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is a man, right? It's very Sermon on the Mount-like. Those Beatitudes we talked about at James is almost like a practical commentary to Matthew 5 through 7, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Of all the issues to choose James chooses trials. On the back of your outline or that second page, there's a hymn that many of you are familiar with. Just one kind of uh, correction there. It's George Matheson, okay? Uh, George Matheson was a Scottish preacher in the 19th century. So you can see what I did there. Scott Matheson, right? So fallible I am. He wrote the hymn, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, All right? One of the things about George Matheson was in his late teens, he began to lose his eyesight. By the time he was 20, he was in completely and utterly blind. And during his life, in light of this struggle, he really wrestled with God, what, why God in his providence would allow him to struggle in this way. Eventually, George Matheson came to a point where he was willing to pin a prayer and that prayer has been a source of massive encouragement to many believers years later. Here's the prayer. He says, Dear God, I have never thanked you for my thorns. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but never for my thorns. Teach me the glory of the cross I bear. Teach me the value of my thorns. Friends, that is a radically different way of viewing life, is it not? That's foreign to the world that you live in. And I dare say it's even foreign to many Christians that you know. Lord, teach me the value of my thorns. Lord, I have never thanked you for my thorns. You see, totally foreign to James was the modern notion that becoming a Christian made your life easier. That all problems would disappear right? It is true that yes, to become a Christian, to be in Christ, to have eternal life in the Son, is to be very ex extremely satisfying. But that satisfaction does not come simply because your life has the absence of difficulties. And we know that not to be the case. The believer knows the scriptures. And in knowing the scriptures, we can face difficulties from an entirely new perspective, it is that new perspective that James conveys to his readers, even in this letter. What type of perspective should the believer have and possess towards trials? Well, he's going to unpack this attitude, this perspective we are to have. There are trials that come from without, which will be the next few weeks. And then later in verses 13 through 18, there are these trials that come from within. Okay? 
This morning, verses 2 through 12, really are those trials from without. If you're taking notes today, it's there in your outline. The trials of life are God's tools to refine us and to produce in us Christian maturity. The trials of life are God's tools to refine us and to produce in us Christian maturity, to make us who he wants us to be. Now, trials are something that we're familiar with because they're a natural part of life, right? Look at the text again that we just read. James wrote, consider it all joy. What does it say right after that? Kind of Bible study here. What's the next word? Consider all joy, my brethren. And what's the next word? When. Thank you. (laughs) When. Not if, but when you encounter trials. It's inevitable, right? When you encounter, the the word there is to literally fall into trials. It's used throughout the New Testament. You have Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke talks about the Good Samaritan, this individual, a certain man, fell among thieves. The book of Acts, Paul's on a ship, right? And his ship fell into a sandbar and wrecked. And it's a good way to describe trials, right? You don't always see them coming. You can't avoid them. And they're often very dangerous and hurtful. You fall into them. That's just part of human life. Our Lord, of which we love, experienced trials. Luke 22, 28. He even told his disciples, John 16, 33. He says, in the world you will have trouble. You will have trials. Paul told his converts in Acts chapter 14, we must through tribulation enter the kingdom. You're sensing the theme here. The Lord, (laughs) Paul, Peter, 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, I love how he puts this. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange has happened to you. Think it not strange. This is part of life. Job's friend, Eliphaz, right? Man is born into trouble as sparks fly upward, right? Just as sure as sparks fly up from a fire, so one's life is marked with all sorts of trials, right? We get this analogy, right? There's the old adage, you know, in question, does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? Yes, right? Well, does a man living in a fallen planet with full of depravity, does he experience trials and suffering? Yes. They're part and partial to being upon this planet. Knowing this, we must examine, well, how do I deal with these things that are inevitable? These things that I will fall into outside of my control. Before we unpack how to deal with them, we we best understand what he's talking about when he says trials because they come in different forms and shades colors, right? In the New Testament, trials really denote to test, right? To test. And and they're used in two very distinct ways. There's an evil purpose and there's a good purpose, okay? An evil purpose is to cause the object being tested to fail. That's its objective. Temptation, to tempt, a, a solicitation to sin, James is going to get to this issue later in verses 13, right? We also know it in 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who desire to get rich fall into temptation, right? But there's also to test for a good, profitable purpose. This is where you have an external test for a profitable end. Either to demonstrate the quality of that which is being tested or to strengthen that which is being tested. Well, the context of verses 2 through 12 of chapter 1 is that this is an external test for a good purpose, which we will see. This trial, this external difficulty is outside of your control. Now, pause for a moment and just reconnect again to the context of the letter and to the audience that it was written. If he's talking to Jewish believers dispersed abroad, do they have their share of trials, yes or no? Let's just elaborate on that. What trials can you imagine might be a part of their life being a Jewish Christian dispersed abroad just a few years in the grand scheme of things removed from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
What trials have come your way? Rejection by other Jewish family and friends who have not come to the Messiah. Persecution, both from Gentiles and Jews. Isolation, is that what you said? Excellent, isolation. What else? Okay, removed from their homes, which materially can equate to what? What's produced in their life? What's that? Yeah, economic hardship, right? Poverty, okay, excellent. Hmm? Safety, yeah, fearing for their own safety. You have sickness, we'll get to that in chapter five. If any of you are sick among you, right? Yeah. Associations, relationships, absolutely. Yeah, and those are, those are some of the, the wounds that cut deepest, right? What's that? Being in prison, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be disenfranchising, right? from the others that they know and that they love, for sure. All sorts of trials. Doesn't take much in the way of sanctified imagination to even in the context of the rest of the letter of which we'll unpack to see what those trials might've been. Now, James is not limiting trials to only that which he's going to touch on throughout the rest of the letter. He says, when you encounter various trials, and this struck me again this week, the word there for various, it's just multifaceted. It's multicolored. If you take the Septuagint and Joseph's coat of many colors, it's the same word, right? Many colors, which is so apropos when you think about trials in life. The, the forms in which they can take, the degrees of intensity are, are abounding. They're endless, incalculable. Trials are going to come in every imaginable shade and color. And there is no trouble that comes into your life that doesn't fall into and under James' instruction here. When you encounter trials, not if, consider them. Here's how you respond to these trials. James is going to give five insights as to how to respond. We'll cover just two this morning. Number one is to develop the right attitude toward trials. We'll also cover, number two, recognize the good result of trials, okay? If you wanna benefit from life's trials, you need to respond to them in the right way. Where does this right response begin? Look at verse two, we develop the right attitude towards trial. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy. That's a financial term to evaluate, to assess, to count. Paul used it several times in Philippians 3, right? More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count, I consider, I evaluate. Now, I want us to think for a moment before we kind of think about and dwell on what it is to consider, what it is to count and evaluate. Before we consider the right way, what are some wrong ways we encounter trials? Let's, let's start there and then go to back again to the text. What are some wrong ways that we encounter trials? Resentment. Resentment. Excellent. We'll get to that in a second. Whining. Complaining, grumbling, right? Philippians 2 speaks to that. Outburst of anger. Self-pity. Self-pity. Poor me. Woe is me, right? Trying to fix it on our own, right? Laziness. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of leaning in in your pursuit of Christ and... And, and having joy and can, the exercise, the discipline to consider these things joy, we just slip into a, a, an apathetic state, right? Laziness, no diligence or vigilance. Avoidance. Avoidance, 
Yes, absolutely. Even denial. <laughs> Put my head in the sand. Surprised? Yeah. Shocked, bewildered. How could this happen to me? Blame. Blame. Yeah, absolutely. You, you see a lot. We talked about it yesterday morning with the men, Israel's capacity to do just that, right? They did not, they forgot the works of God, like days after deliverance in, in Egypt. It's just mind-boggling. And then we, then we, men, right, we looked at it, we are like Israel. You, you all really kind of mentioned several that I put. Denial, we just pretend nothing's happened, right? Uh, complaining, I heard that. Uh, Philippians 2, do nothing, do all things without complaining or grumbling. Self-pity was mentioned, right? We go through life thinking that our lot is a lot worse than everyone else. Woe is me, poor me. And, and when kind of be in the state to say poor me, it's a long way from just saying this is pure joy, right? Those are two very different things. Anger, bitterness. We can turn to Ephesians 4, right? We, we blow up, we take anger down into our hearts and anger breeds bitterness, right? Hebrews talks about getting out the root of bitterness. And what are some things that we get better at? You can just think for a moment. How do we express bitterness? And who do we express bitterness towards? Think of one at the top of the list. Yeah, Joe points, God. Exactly. Maybe a spouse, a loved ones, we vent. Just bitter at life on the whole, right? Okay, bitter towards those who maybe we don't observe trials in their life. No, that's exactly right. You also have a stoicism kind of path to deal with um, trials, right? Well, let's just grin and bear it. Just smile, put up with the pain. You also have an Epicurean way to deal with trials. And if you're familiar with Epicurus, he taught that life was a mix of good and bad experiences. And the solution for life is, since you can't avoid bad experiences, since life is just a mix of good and bad, the solution is, the way to respond is to load your life with as much pleasure as you possibly can. Fill your life with more pleasure than pain, and the bottom line, it will be positive in the end. Now, let me ask you, Epicurean's a big word, but filling our lives with pleasure in order to avoid dealing with trials, what's an Epicurean way of dealing with trials today in this way? What, what do people turn to in the midst of trial? Drugs, entertainment, shopping, spend money simultaneously, cha-ching, excellent. What else? Food. Gluttony, just on the whole, okay? Lust, right? Let me just turn, let me turn my mind off and redirect myself to anything else. And the list is long because we are fallen creatures and we're quite creative in our fallenness. Work, yeah, let me just bury myself in my work. It's convicting for us. Very opposite from considerate all joy, Right? What is the right way to encounter trials? Well, what is this consider it all joy? Well, let's look to that now this morning. We talked about it a second ago. Consider the word there is to count or deem or to evaluate. You, you come to an objective mental evaluation after carefully weighing the facts. Let me say that again. You come to an objective mental evaluation after carefully weighing the facts. What are those facts that you weigh? When you think about it, you conclude that it is all joy. And there comes a point in a believer's life where they have to decide how they're going to respond to trials. You have to decide that trials are no longer my enemy. Uh, they're no longer meant for my hurt. I, I have to decide to respond positively. We don't always do this perfectly. That is for sure. But this is our commitment, no less, right? I'm going to respond to trials Positively, I'm going to consider them all joy. To which we say, what? 
all joy. Now, I want to clarify something here or just add this. This doesn't mean exclusively joy, okay? And what I mean by that is it doesn't mean, and you know this anecdotally in your own life, it doesn't mean that you always feel joyful or that you enjoy trials, right? James is not calling on us to pursue some sort of sadistic path in pursuit of trials. I just love them so much, right? That's not what he's saying. No, believers, we have sorrow. We cry. First Thessalonians 4, Paul speaks to people who were full of sorrow. Loved ones had gone to be with the Lord. They were asleep. He says, we grieve. We have sorrow, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. You will grieve, but you will not grieve as those who have no hope. So when he says, consider it all joy, he doesn't just mean you're just absolutely like you're enthralled by it. You love it. You pursue it. It's something else. Instead, we should count the trials that God brings into our life. We consider it a genuine source of joy because we understand something. We count, deem, evaluate an objective mental evaluation of carefully weighing the facts. We understand what? We understand that God will, God will, let me say it again, God will produce wonderful things through our trials. And this is where joy comes from. Not from the trials, but from the results of the trials. From the tools that trials are to produce good and wonderful things in your life that lead to his glory. That is joy producing. Even our Lord was able to endure the cross. Why? The joy set before him. Exactly. Hebrews. We count it all joy. We have the right attitude towards trials. God, I thank you for the ways in which you're going to use this diagnosis, this job loss, this financial strain, this relational tension, this marriage that is not what it ought to be. You are going to use these things in ways that are incalculable for me to understand and know. Thank you. Still, it goes without saying, that, that's, we don't always make that conclusion, that determination and evaluation very easily. So how do we conclude that trials are a genuine source of joy for us? I think verses three through four are helpful. Not only do we develop the right attitude towards trials, but we recognize the good results of trials. We recognize the good results of trials. Look at verse three. James writes, I'm going to step back, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you can encounter various trials. He says, knowing, and that's a key word, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Knowing. See, the key is lifting our eyes off of our circumstances, off of the externals, and think about their spiritual realities that God is accomplishing. That is the key. And when, it suffice it to say, when we respond wrongly, we're doing the exact opposite, aren't we? We've got our eyes down here. We respond wrongly because we fail to know a few things. What is it that we should know? I think one is that God is behind every trial. Just pause there and take that in for a moment. God is behind every trial. Look what he says, knowing that the testing of your faith. Friends, testing implies that someone is administering the test. Knowing that the testing of your faith. Who's ministering the test, friends? God is. a theme and flow of thought that really is going to kind of even go through the rest of chapter one. Look at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God 
Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. Who's doing the approving? God is. Verse three makes it clear that God is behind every trial. And this, is, this struck me again this week. From our perspective, we fall into trials, right? From God's perspective, that's not the case. We, we never fall into trials. These are planned. These are designed. Genesis 50, 20, right? What you meant for evil, God says, I meant for good. I've always meant it for good. It's a huge encouragement for us this morning. At least it should be. This should be an encouragement for us, but just if we're real and honest for a moment this morning, just to simply say that God is behind every trial doesn't always uplift the suffering, does it? It doesn't always equate to a spirit and a soul finding solace in that truth. You have a person who's just recently diagnosed with a terminal illness. You have a parent that buries a child. You have a father straining under the financial press of providing for a family after a recent layoff. A spouse living within a marriage that is not what it ought to be. You have a church member who has just been unjustly accused and slandered and abused by those failing to be diligent, as Ephesians says, to preserve the unity and the bond of peace. These things hurt. The key here is bearing in mind that not only is my God behind every trial, but that he's doing something beyond the realm of that which you can see. It's not all loss which is how we often view suffering. That terminal illness comes and we think, oh, how my life is being cut short. The memories, the moments that I will lose. And we fail to keep in mind that God is going to produce something in you and even through this situation that is beyond possibly what you can imagine or think. We forget that there is great gain through trial. Which leads us to the second thing that we should know. God intends to use trials for your spiritual good. He says the testing of your faith. Testing there is a, it's a word that means to prove genuine, right? The idea was of metal, to refine it, right? God uses trial to remove stuff inside of us that ought not be there. To prove the genuineness of our faith. And out of the fire, like tempered steel, we come out how? We come out stronger. Our faith is stronger. Job understood this. He understood this. Job 23.10, he says, this is Job speaking, but he, God, knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. 2 Corinthians 4.17, many of you love this text. For our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far, far beyond all comparison. These things are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. If you're going to consider trials joy, you need to know that God is behind every trial. God intends to use that trial for your spiritual good. Third and finally, every trial properly responded to will strengthen your faith. Every trial properly responded to will strengthen your faith. Look back at the text for a moment. What specific quality of our faith do trials strengthen? Look at verse 3, the end of it. What does it produce? What's that? Endurance. The word there is to remain under. It's staying power, right? It's like a weightlifter. And if you know in Olympic lifting, because I know from firsthand experience, right? I, that was uncalled for. That was not needed. I'll, I'll see you in the parking lot. No, no, I won't. I love you. I love you. I love you. We know in Olympic weightlifting, right, for a lift to be determined to be valid, 
you have to stand under the weight a certain amount of time, right? And, and James is saying, listen, these things produce endurance. I want you to turn to the left to Romans chapter five for a moment. Romans chapter five. The capacity to remain under staying power. Romans 5. Paul writes the following. And then we'll turn a section from Peter as well, just to cover our basis. Get a sense that this is a theme throughout the New Testament. There's James, now there's Paul. Therefore, Paul writes, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Lord, I thank you for my roses, but I also thank you for my thorns. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's the same word there, endurance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. It's, these things stir our hope in God and, and our future in him. Brings them to the forefront of our mind. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'll turn back to the right to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by, by fire, listen to it, may be found to result in what? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, Peter, James, they all say that trials are like spiritual weights that build up our muscles. Now, I know, humanly speaking, not all, not all of us like weight training, right? It hurts. And so some people do get bitter. Some people get angry with God. John Calvin wrote, tribulation provokes a great part of mankind to murmur against God and even to curse him. And again, you want to go back to the history of Israel, right? These things were written as an example to you and for your instruction, just look back at their exodus out of Egypt. These things produce endurance. Let me ask you this morning, turn that over. What's the opposite of endurance? You tell me. What's that? I'm sorry. I thought you said squinting. I was like, right. we'll work with it. Quitting, yeah. What, what else? Temptation? Impatience, okay. Impatience. Weakness, right? Okay, yeah, weariness, right? Collapse, cowardice, right? But when you have faith in God that, God, you're behind my trial, and you have faith in God that you're going to use this for my spiritual good, and you're going to take these as tools to strengthen my faith, you can consider it joy, produces endurance. Warren Wiersbe said, in the Bible, patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstances. I like this. Let me say that again. In the Bible, patience is, is not a passive acceptance of circumstances. It is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. It's a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering. We covered this even last week, our pastor in Hebrews, he's, it says, do not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate them, those who endured. If you know these things, when you encounter trials, you can consider it joy, not because of the trial, but because of what you know it produces. 
there are character qualities. There are degrees of maturity that we cannot obtain solely by reading a book on Christian theology or practical Christian living. There are things that, we can't, that cannot be produced to us even in, in simply listening to a sermon. There are things that God wants to produce in you and the agent which he uses are trials. He turns up the furnace a little bit. A bit. He applies the heat and out you come stronger, more mature. Just read the rest of the passage, right? Endurance is not the end goal. Christian maturity is the end goal. Look at verse four. And let endurance have its perfect result. Now that's right there, that's weak in English, but in the original, it's a, it's a super strong command. Let endurance finish the job. The implication for you and I is quite clear. You see, the key to Christian maturity is not how many trials you have, but thinking rightly about the ones you do have. James says, listen, do not thwart what God desires to do. Let endurance have its course. Why? Keep reading verse four, so that you may be perfect. It's fully grown, mature, opposite of being a spiritual infant that we looked at, I think, in Hebrews chapter 5, right? You're still, you're still consuming milk when you should be having more. Friends, it would be a tragedy if our children just stayed little babies the rest of their life, wouldn't it? The same is case for Christians, too. It would be a shame for us to just stay as infants. God's goal for our life is maturity, growth. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, grown, mature, and complete, whole, having all parts, undamaged, lacking in nothing. Character developed. Theology strengthened, fortified. We choose to respond with joy to every trial of life. We let God do the testing and whatever maturation that he desires to bring into our life. Don't have time, but we were going to go back to Hebrews again because there's a lot that came up here. But our pastor covered Hebrews 2.10. You can look at it later. Hebrews 5.8, right? Christ was made perfect through suffering, and he unpacked that. I thought back, I had this uh, toy when I was a kid. You remember those rock tumblers? And you would put, you have one? Yeah, okay, you, she has, you have one to this day. You had one. Okay, yeah, you put rocks in it. I think you put some other things in it, and it would basically polish it, and you would pull it out, and it would be this incredible looking rock, right? It was fascinating as a kid, even as an adult, right? And it, two months later. Two months later, just, just let it grind, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You were impatient? Yeah, yeah, okay. Like me, yeah, me too. You opened it too soon, Jim. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that, that's, isn't that life, right, with trials? Uh, it's much like a rock tumbler, right? And when it comes out, we are, we are strengthened. Our faith it is, is increased, made sure, proven genuine. We look like Christ more than when we went into the trial at the beginning. Let's just talk about some things that we can apply, living what we learn. I want us to think through a few individuals for a moment. Just think back through Scripture, right? Obviously, when a believer learns to wait on the Lord, God can do great things through that person. I want you to name some individuals in Scripture who had to learn patience or endurance. Job. Joseph. Abraham. Now, think about Abraham for a moment, right? He didn't always get this. He had moments of impatience, right? He ran ahead of the Lord. He married Hagar, and we know what great sorrow was brought into his home from there, right? Genesis chapter 18. Excellent. What else? Moses, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Moses ran ahead of God. He murdered a man, right? He had to spend 40 years with the sheep to learn patience. It's a long time. What else? Peter, right? We even talked about it a few weeks ago. This just came to mind, right? Peter almost killed a man, right? With his impatience. Gospel of John 18, what was that? Paul, absolutely. There's tons of people throughout scripture, right? And I think part of that is that the only way that we can often develop patience and character in our lives is, is through trials, right? Secondly, why is it important not to retreat in the midst of conflict? How can we prepare ourselves before the conflicts or trials come? Let's focus on that second question. How can we prepare ourselves before trials come? Okay. Rooted in scripture, constant prayer. We'll get to that in a second. What's that? I'm sorry. Understand the sovereignty of God. So theology, the sovereignty of God, but even also availing yourself to testimonies throughout history uh, where God's sovereignty was put on display and people who understood that sovereignty. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Rebar. I like that. Yeah. If we have a propensity not to consider it all joy, let me avail myself to a community that's going to encourage me to respond differently as I ought. Right? And we're going to take turns doing that is the beauty of the body of Christ. What else? I think also too, just being honest and humble. When you know that this, this exhortation, this command is in front of you, but you, own, you know your own heart and mind and you know when you are wrestling and struggling to do and live out James 1, 2 through 4, you actually share that with someone in, in the spirit of what Craig said a moment ago. Just say, hey, I, I, you know, we, we have the same theology, we have the same sovereign God, but I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling right now. And just fill in the blank and let a friend, David Anglin, just come to anyone and let them know. And then bring them into that struggle, allow them to pray, encourage, and support you to that end. Yeah, so if I hear you, you you're, you're, you're praying that the Lord would prepare and strengthen you for the trials to come. And there's such a mental dwelling on those things that they become a self-fulfilling. Okay. Yeah, well. Quick. quick. <laughs> Nothing's quick. Um, There we go. Yeah, Philippians 4. Think on that which is true, right, holy, pure, good. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I mean, if it's getting into a place where your um, ring, you know, we, we, we talk about in my home, we borrow trouble from tomorrow, right? Um, and there is that dynamic that we have to contend against in our own heart and mind, right? Lord, I'm, I'm only gonna deal with the trial or trouble that's in front of me today. You're gonna produce endurance in this space, in this parking spot, right? I'm not gonna dwell on what may be coming down the horizon, right? Um, that creates an angst about things that are not even not, not yet, right? Um, which is counterproductive. And, and if I'm spending energy trying to gear up and straighten up for trials that are not even present, I'm oftentimes probably not sure-footed for the trials that are in front of me, right? Yeah. Yeah, be anxious for nothing. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Stephen. Which is good, is that last part is when we face trials, what should you pray and how should you pray? I think that's great. Steve just even put Philippians 4, 6 through 7, right? Um, ask the Lord, you know exactly what you want to produce in my life. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at your mercy to produce and construct anything in me maturity-wise that you want to do, right? Um, and guard me from all the erroneous ways that I am tempted and prone to respond in ways that are not honoring to you, right? We talked about it yesterday with the men, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's our inclination. We have proclivities towards steering away, living out James 1 and 2. It's not our natural inclination, which is why we have to be given instruction, right? Because these things are not just naturally ornate to me natural it's not natural to the rest of the world either it makes us a very peculiar people doesn't it that believers respond to trials like no one else do it's because we have a hope like none other do right you can think of people in your own life you've watched go through trials in exemplary fashion and they manifested this they displayed this and we're thankful for that Well, let me go ahead and close this in prayer. Great participation today, and let's thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for the sweet time. There's, we could spend really weeks and sessions just talking about from a, almost a practical level, Lord, as a community, as individuals, how do we, we wanna abide by this, we wanna live this out. Uh, We need the constant reminder, it is is no, no bother for us to do a bit of review what we covered just a few weeks ago because there's no doubt even in the span of a week Lord we are already having moments of forgetfulness (laughs) and where we lose our mind's eyes off of that which is important that you are behind every trial you will use these trials for our spiritual good and if responded to Lord you will strengthen our faith we pray that you help us to keep that understanding truth and theology at the forefront of our thinking You know every suffering, every expression of trial that even exists right now in this room. Lord, your grace is sufficient, and for this we say thank you. And we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.